My name is Jeanette Yap, and I serve as Grace Chapel's Pastor of Global and Regional Outreach. I'm honored to welcome you to Global Awareness Week, where you get a front row seat to connect with some of what God is doing in the world today. Let me introduce you to our visiting partners. Sarah Blumenshine loves people who are far from home. She serves immigrants and refugees in the Greater Boston Refugee Ministry and worships with her family at our Wilmington campus. Bobby and Margie Bowes are the founders of the Bengali Christian Ministry, which mobilizes, trains, and supports Christian leaders in West Bengal, India. Hoping to move to Calcutta in the near future, the Bowes currently worship at our Lexington campus. Born and raised in Boston, Lisa Kagwaku started to follow Jesus at Harvard, seeing the church's potential to address intractable social issues. Lisa is the assistant director of the Emanuel Gospel Center, overseeing their programs. A mom of two young children, she's one busy lady. It's our pleasure to welcome long-term partners Vitali and Larissa Fadula. Vitali is the senior pastor of the 1,500-member Jesus Savior Church, as well as a New Testament professor in Kisinau, Moldova. This summer, they celebrated the wedding of their daughter, Corina, to Adrian. Sheila Foster Fabiano grew up in Zambia and is a third-generation missionary. She's a pediatric nurse by training, but her ministry focus has shifted. She's now involved in theological education and also serves as her mission's Angola country director. Lead Them Home, a ministry founded by Bill Henson, seeks to reflect Christ's love for LGBT plus people in the church. Bill and his family worship at our Lexington campus. Mandy D. Herrera serves volunteers and connects ministry partners to God's work at Parter's House, a ministry that walks alongside the materially poor in Guatemala. We have loved working alongside Mandy in planning for our student and family CCLEs to Parter's House. For 15 years, Bill and Judy Long have led a team of Grace Chapel folks to reach out to international students and scholars who have come to Greater Boston for their studies. Through friendship and meeting physical, emotional, and spiritual needs, our international student ministry gets to connect visiting students with the love of Christ. The Longs are usually seen sitting with a group of international student friends at our Lexington campus. We've been partnering with World Relief Malawi in the Zimba district to serve the most vulnerable through training church leaders, offering savings groups, child development programs, and HIV AIDS programming. Gibson Nakununena serves as the ministry's national director. Lisa Ulrich has been involved in the Ministry of Alpha for 17 years and currently serves as the Greater Boston Regional Director. This summer, in partnership with Will Relief, Lisa led a team to bring Alpha to Malawi. Lisa worships with her husband and our Lexington campus. New Life Home provides a voluntary, faith-based recovery program for women and their children as they face addiction and other life challenges. They demonstrate the love of Christ as broken lives are restored. Let's give a warm welcome to Caroline Robinson, a long-term staff member of New Life Home. Liz Schweiger found her go as a graduate student worshiping with us at our Lexington and East Lexington campuses. As a psychology faculty member at a large university in South Asia, her commitment to teaching her students with integrity and excellence speaks eloquently of the Lord she loves and serves. Claire Sullivan ministers to people affected by incarceration, homelessness, violence, and addiction in Lynn. Pasta Claire directs Straight Ahead 
Ministries of Lynn and pastors the House of Hope Church. Living in Northern Thailand, Seth and Lauren Bertrano Wilson and their two wee ones are involved in Bible translation with Wycliffe Associates. Lauren coaches Bible translators as they learn the languages and cultures of various people groups. Seth helps language groups decide how they want to write down their language. Be sure to ask them how many languages they speak. 24 partners representing 11 nations are with us this week. They'll be visiting each of our campuses. Check out grace.org slash GAW2017 for more details. Join us to see what God is doing in and through our partners as they bring the good news of Jesus to the nations. I bring you greetings from the church in Pakistan, and I also want to thank Grace Chapel for sending us Dr. Liz Schweiger, who teaches psychology with us at Foreman Christian College in Lahore. Thank you for all that you do as a congregation towards establishing and building the kingdom of God, both here in the Boston area and around the world. I'm the rector of were president of Foreman Christian College in Lahore, Pakistan. It was founded by Presbyterian missionary Charles Foreman in 1864. It's the second oldest higher educational institution in Pakistan. It has educated church leaders and national distinguished graduates include presidents, prime ministers, governors, Supreme Court justices, and many other senior government, community, and business leaders. And it has been considered one of the elite institutions of the Indian subcontinent. It has survived all manner of internal and external problems, including when the British partitioned South Asia into India and Pakistan in 1947 as they left their colonial control. The staff and student body were decimated at that time, and it continued to run as a mission-run Christian institution until 1971, when Prime Minister Zulfikar Ali Bhutto nationalized educational institutions in a misguided attempt to provide low-cost education to the masses. Foreman fell into a state of deplorable disrepair, educational standards plummeted, the numbers of staff ballooned as unmotivated government employees were appointed. An unplanned but nonetheless clear process of Islamization at the college took place. The name Foreman Christian College was changed officially to FC Government College. Buildings' names were changed. Classes were begun with reading and exposition from the Holy Quran. The student body became highly politicized, and the student wing of the fundamentalist political party jamaat e islami made the college its headquarters and was in power there. They kidnapped students from other universities and brought them there for indoctrination and even torture. The number of Christian students dropped to less than 20, and despite the fact that there were reserved places for minorities. Christian faculty numbers went down to four, even though the faculty positions were, had ballooned. And the Christian community responded by having squatters move into the campus. They occupied a healthy portion of the property, and the government put little into the infrastructure of the college because they did not own the land or the buildings. 
Through hard work by certain individuals combined with a sympathetic government, Foreman Christian College was returned to the Presbyterian Church, who in turn handed it over to a private Christian board on March 19, 2003. It was possible to move through the multiple layers of government because at every turn there were Foreman graduates, and they were uniformly in strong support of the college being denationalized. Foreman received its own university charter from the Punjab Provincial Assembly on October 12, 2004, and since then has been able to set its own curriculum and its own exams. Today, we have just under 7,400 students, including 11th and 12th grades, which is considered tertiary education in Pakistan, baccalaureate, 12 master's degrees, and three PhD programs. We are situated on 104 acres in the center of Lahore, and we have about 1,100 employees, of whom 350 are faculty. We are an umbrella Christian institution. The board and the senior leadership are Christian, along with about 25% of our faculty and 11% of our student body. The vast majority of lower-level staff are Christian, and we extend an umbrella of God's grace to all who work or study with us and have become known as a model for inter-community harmony and high educational standards in Pakistan today. The chief minister of the Punjab was once quoted to me as saying, when FC College was a government institution, it cost us lots of money and we had poor education. Now it costs us nothing and we have excellent education. <laughs> the Christian community in Pakistan sees the return of foremen as a miracle and so do I. That's how I see it. But all is not rosy. I grew up in Pakistan, the child of a missionary educator. I have language and love the people and the life there. But Pakistan today is not the same in which I was raised. Hope is in short supply. It is troubled in searching for an identity. Terrorism and corruption have been a drag on the economy, bringing us to a perilous state. When I agreed to take the job as president at Foreman, Beth and I decided we would attend a six-day course put on by a Christian security outfit as part of our preparation to go. It taught us how to avoid kidnapping, and should we fail to avoid being kidnapped, it taught us what to do if we were kidnapped. It also taught us organizational security, both in terms of planning and crisis management. Kidnapping, loss of life, and institutional disruption because of terrorist activities were seen as a real risk. This is the mindset we had when we moved back to Pakistan. Though life around us is mostly normal, these dangers continue to be very real for us today. And this brings me to our scripture passage, Psalm 121, where we are reminded that our safety and security is in God alone. Let me read that to you right now. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. 
Now, have you ever heard a popular song and associate that song with a particular time and place, making it especially yours? You know, perhaps you heard it on a date with the person you're now married to. And I suspect that many of us have had a, some such experience. Well, so I have that kind of an association with Psalm 121. I grew up in Pakistan in what was a sleepy little city at the base of the foothills of the Himalayan mountains. I went to a boarding school 40 miles away, which was three to three and a half hours by bus at the, an elevation of 7,500 feet. On a clear day, we could see Nanga Parbat, which was the second most prominent peak in the Himalayas after Mount Everest, and the ninth highest in the world at 26,660 feet. We were a family of seven. My father led nightly devotions where we sang and read the Bible. And one of the two music books that we used was the original InterVarsity hymn book, creatively called Hymns. My parents both became Christians in college and were members of one of the first InterVarsity Bible study groups in Indiana. And number seven in the hymns book was a rendition of Psalm 121, and we sang that in our family devotions often. It has a beautiful dense descant, which my dad would sing, uh, only one octave lower. For me, this psalm fell into the category of the 23rd psalm, which we also sang, in which my wife Beth and I often sang to our children in bed before they went to sleep at night. The psalm of 121 for me was that I could go to bed and sleep because God did not sleep. He was always watching over me and keeping me safe. But to see this psalm as primarily one for personal comfort is misleading of its meaning. The message of Psalm 121 is simple but profound, and it is a message that we see throughout the Bible. Our safety and security is in God and in God alone, but to remember that and put it into practice calls for spiritual exercise. Let's look at this psalm together. Verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? There are two points to this verse. The first is that the psalmist pauses to look up from his life and his daily routines to something greater than himself. All of us need these spaces, and that's probably part of why we're in church today. Contemplative time and time alone is vital for us in order to order our lives and to be directed by God. The second part of this verse brings us to the main subject of today's message. The psalmist knows that he needs help through his question, and through his question begins the process of reflection. He is assessed that he's assessed his life and he's in trouble. He can't manage by himself. And where is his help going to come from? That is the reflection of the psalm. Now let's take our situation in Pakistan as an illustration. Islamists who commit acts of terror believe that the problems of Pakistan will be solved if only everyone would follow the Nizam and Mustafa, the law of the Prophet. I have heard radical TV preachers say that all the problems of Pakistan could be solved in two weeks if Sharia law were introduced and strictly enforced. The ideology behind this terrorism is religious, and it is to do away with heresy and bring down a bad order so that a new, pure order of Islamic law can emerge, and that will solve the problems of our country. Educational institutions have been brutally targeted. In fact, the main reason things have been better this year, terrorism-wise, is because of a terrible attack on a school in Peshawar almost three years ago, killing 269 students and teachers in the most brutal way imaginable. 
This galvanized the military into action against some of these terrorist groups. We at Foreman Christian College have received threats stating that we've corrupted our students and they all must be killed to stop the pollution of bad ideas. We have received specific threats naming certain foreigners and in one case a female Christian student leader, one of our stars. The security chief and I met with her father and we brought her onto campus in the women's hostel to finish her last semester rather than commuting as the threat was clearly knowledgeable and imminent. And on at least one occasion that I know of in 2014, there was a kidnapping attempt on me. We've had security alerts, some of which have been surprisingly accurate. One time we were even given a date where we were to be attacked, September 9, 2016, but it never happened. The U.S. government has a travel warning to all to avoid all unnecessary travel to Pakistan. And at the time, uh, there was the kidnapping attempt on me in 2014. The U.S. consulate pulled out of Lahore for the first time since 1947 and did not come back for two years. They're completely not there in the city. We've been identified by the Pakistan government as an A-plus target, which is their highest danger category. There are three reasons for this. We not only provide education for women, but we co-educate them with men. We are entirely American in our liberal arts curriculum, and we are a Christian institution that publicly flies our identity high and free. In fact, given these three strikes against us, I find it hard to believe that we've not been attacked yet. We have been pressed by the government to introduce security measures to protect ourselves. We regularly get orders to implement foolproof security. That's what they say, and this is where I took the title for the message today. We have an eight-foot wall around our 104-acre campus. There is concertina wire, razor wire on top of that. We have lights at night, 190-plus security cameras that are monitored day and night. We have six observation posts with guards armed with snipers, rifles, and scopes. The government wants us to have more. We have 145 of our own guards, mostly ex-military, led by our chief security officer, who is a retired colonel from the military. There are two anti-terrorist police assigned to his command as well, and an armed rapid response force of six that patrols in a truck inside the campus day and night. We've recently completed a perimeter path inside our wall for patrolling our boundary, and we have a biometric proximity card system that gives us complete control of all who come and go from the campus. And we have sirens loud enough to wake the dead to warn us should there be an attack. Yet the terrorists have penetrated far better armed military bases, killing and causing extensive damage. They have even successfully attacked and led the army head, and, and held the army headquarters in the garrison town of Rawalpindi for more than 24 hours. What possible chance do we have, a bunch of amateurs trying to defend against such a force? I'm sure you're all agreed. We need God's help. We need God's help. By reminding ourselves that we have that help, like the psalmist does, we can carry on our work to which he has called us and not be afraid. But what applicability does Psalm 121 have to those of us in church today who live most of our lives in the Boston area? Terrorist attacks, kidnapping, loss of life are easy to see as dangerous. But scripture tells us there is something that is far more dangerous than losing your life. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 says, And do not fear those who can kill the body, who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. 
Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Or Luke chapter 12, verse 16, the land of a rich man produced the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself in this parable, Jesus tells, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We work towards financial security. We're careful about what we eat and look after our health. We strive to provide the best education possible for our children. We live good Christian lives and participate in church, keeping good values and modeling them to our children. All around us, we hear the message of self-reliance and we follow it. Slowly, we come under the grip of a self-protective mindset and worldview that does not recognize that the only foolproof security that we have is in God and in God alone. Our ability and even desire to follow God's call is lost. God becomes an add-on who, who we think might be able to help us uh, when all else fails, rather than being the center of our lives. Our children see in us how life is lived without God, and they drift away from the church. I challenge you to do two things this morning, starting right now. First, lift up your eyes to that which is greater than yourself. Take stock of your life. And secondly, ask this question, from where does my help come? From where does my help come? Think about it now and during this next week. Let's move on now and look at the psalmist's response to his own question. Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist is inspired by the hills that tell of God's creation. His God is not a little idol like the nations around him have. His God made those hills and a whole lot more, and that God is his help. But, you can ask, God may have created the heavens and the earth. He may be all-powerful, but does he care about me and my problems? The psalmist asserts in several different ways in the remaining six verses of the chapter that God is entirely involved in and committed to the care and safekeeping of his people. Verses 3 and 4, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Foot moving refers to a steadfastness of purpose. He will keep you in the commitments that you have made to follow him. God has promised that. That God does not slumber or sleep tells us that God is always on task. He's not a finite human being. His help will continue. And the third point in these two verses is that God keeps us. He keeps me. He protects the commitments that we make. The Hebrew word shamar, which is translated keep, or preserve is the key verse for this psalm. It's used six times in this particular psalm. Paul in 2 Timothy expresses this truth in chapter 1, verse 12. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This guarding or keeping includes the commitment we made to follow Christ. You made that commitment to follow Christ, he'll help you keep it. The call God has placed in our lives to be engaged in kingdom work, whether it's as a missionary, a homemaker, a student, a teacher, an employer, an employer, 
It also includes the marriage vows that we've taken before God for those of us who are married, and many more. He will keep them and help us keep them. Verses 5 and 6, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade at your, on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. In a hot and sunny climate, the sun is dangerous. It is something beyond human control. Verse 6 tells us that God protects us from this danger that we know, but we cannot control. The nighttime can bring superstitious fears. The sun can attack you physically, and the nighttime powers of darkness referred to by the moon can harm you mentally and emotionally. Day or night, physically or emotionally, God protects you. That is the clear message of this particular verse. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. God keeps you from all evil. Evil is the opposite of who God is. It separates us from God. And the psalmist is saying that God keeps us close to himself and away from those things that can separate us from him. This is true in both life and in death. God's loving presence and purpose for your life cannot be stopped by death, which eventually comes to all of us. We live on after our bodies die, whether in this life or in the life to come, God keeps his people. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore, in verse 8, the concluding verse of this psalm. This last verse refers to your daily lives. As you go about following his call on your life, he will protect you, wherever that may be, be it Lahore or Boston. So in summary, in this rush through Psalm 121, we see four things. The psalmist recognizes his need for help. Secondly, he reflects on where his help comes from. Thirdly, he boldly states that God, the all-powerful creator of the universe, is his help. And then he describes this all-powerful God, how he's involved personally and unfailingly in helping him, protecting him, and enabling him to keep the commitments that he has made. Now, why would you ever want to exchange that kind of assurance from the all-powerful God of the universe for whatever security you can provide for yourself? Talk about foolproof security. But does this mean that if Christian people are trusting God, bad things will not happen to them? We know that's not true. Bad things do happen to God's people. What's more, in other places in Scripture, we're promised as believers that we will even be subjected to suffering and persecution because we are Christians. Jesus himself, who was entirely under God's protection and care, was killed by evil men. Now, how can we understand God's protection as shown to us in Psalm 21 in, this, in the light of this reality? Now, at the very time that I was writing this, preparing this message, and was writing these words down, I received a phone call about one of our, from about one of our poor Christian employees. Her 18-year-old son had been tragically killed in a motorcycle accident. I stopped work, and as is the custom, went over along with many others to mourn with her. And in her grief, she was eloquently asking this question, what sin did I do to deserve this? Those were, then those were her very words, her exact words. And I think she was a believer and could trust her son to God, but that did not make her agony any less. It is especially in times like these that we can turn to God and be reminded that he is our helper. He has not promised to save us from grief, difficulties, or, my friends, even physical death. 
but rather to be with us and keep us in our physical life as well as in our life after death, in both. With his protection, there is nothing that can separate us from his loving presence, not even death. He will keep us in, his, in the purposes and commitments to which he has called us. This gives us enormous freedom from being self-protective in our life choices. We can respond to God's call and rely on him to care for us without worrying about these other things. Now, part of my job is presenting Foreman Christian College to individuals and groups, and it's a wonderful institution and ministry, and I'm absolutely passionate about it. I could talk for two hours about some of the things that are happening here, wonderful stories to tell you. But the question I'm asked about the most when I speak about the college is about security. How safe is it? And some even go farther. One of my very own brothers who grew up in Pakistan begged me not to go when we were going. He thought I was crazy. Yes, humanly speaking, there are uncertainties and dangers. Educational institutions and churches have been targeted with significant loss of life. We have not been attacked yet, but relatives and friends of our community at Foreman have lost their lives, and we do receive regular threats. There are many other places where it's even more unsafe to work. In Afghanistan, several people whom Beth and I knew and considered to be friends have been killed by the Taliban or by terrorists. But of those we know who have lost loved ones, none would regret their decision to respond to God's call on their lives. None. Why? Because they have seen and experienced how God has kept them, even in such difficult circumstances. Their grief has been inconsolable at times. It doesn't take away from their grief, but they have seen God's faithfulness, and they know that his promises for the future and for their lives and for their children are true. Now, I know that some of us are willing to trust God for our own lives, but you may ask, what about our children? Do I risk my children? During a conference Bible teaching session years ago, a Lebanese man named Lucien Akkad, who was head of the Bible Society for Lebanon and the Gulf at the time, told of his experiences during the Bible teaching he was giving us during the Civil War in Lebanon. He did not leave or send his family away, but stayed because he believed that God was calling him to stay. He told of collecting the dead body of one of his workers in front of nervous, trigger-happy Syrian troops. He told of getting up in the mornings after heavy shelling and wondering if his neighbors had survived the night. And in those mornings, he told of experiencing the joy of the Lord anew each time. And he quoted from Lamentations, the middle of the book of Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to, the, to, the, to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He went on to say that he never regretted his decision. His children lost years of schooling, but he said, they learned so much more than schooling could ever teach them about the reality of God and how he cares for his children. Last year at Foreman, we had 23 expatriate children living on campus. The obedience of their parents to God's call is teaching them where their security lies. Their the, the children are learning the lessons of Psalm 121 as they see it lived out in their moms and dads. And I should add here that also this last summer, two families did leave after five years of working at Foreman because of ongoing security concerns, but both continued to respond to God's calling in other places. For me, 
Being the rector of Foreman Christian College is the hardest job that I've ever done, and there have been some real low points to it. And one of the worst was three years ago after this terrible, this worst attack on an educational institution. And uh, we had to cancel a badly needed 10-day holiday in order to deal with the huge security push from the government to beef up our protection of the campus after the attack on the school in Peshawar with multiple visits by security people telling us, do this, do that, and pressuring us. But this has also been the most fulfilling job of my life, and it is a job that is worth giving my life to, even if it means losing that life. God's invitation to you might be to do something that would, would be considered radical for suburban Christians. Maybe God is inviting you to relocate and live among the materially poor. Perhaps God will invite you to open your home to a foster child who's been bounced from home to home. Or maybe you're being called to missionary service to be part of God's redemptive plan in another culture and learning another language. Or God's invitation could be what you're currently doing, but doing it with a deeper sense of God's calling and a real protection in your life. But whatever it is, personal safety and security should not be the deciding factor for how you make decisions. It, it is a cost to be counted, but our protection is from God and from God alone. Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jim Elliot, who along with four others died in an effort to reach the Aka Indians in South America way back in the early 1950s, is quoted as saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That sure sounds like good sense to me. Following God's call in your life and depending entirely on his help is the only foolproof security that there is. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the words of this psalm that are a comfort, but are more than a comfort, that are a challenge for us to turn, lift up our eyes from our daily routine, look to you, ask the question, from where does our help come? Are we relying on our own resources, uh, or are we relying on you? Help us to know and experience in new ways every day how you are our only help and security. And in relying on that, be able to take the risks in ministry and in outreach that you call us to do as individuals and as a body and as a church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.